Mark Selby, Chair and CEO of Canada Nickel, advancing the Crawford Nickel Project and the Timmins Nickel District. Mark, good to see you. Happy New Year, sir. How are you? Happy New Year to you as well. Good, good, good. Well, like, um, lots to talk about. Yeah, I have a couple of press releases out in at the end of December. Also, one out today. Um, let's get into it. So, um, and and this is in the in the, in the backdrop. The backdrop for me. You didn't put out the feasibility study at the end of last year like you said you would. Um, I think we now know why. So let's let's kick off with the this announcement about the integrated carbon capture and storage at Crawford. Yeah. So uh, earlier this year, we announced uh, the IPT carbonation, uh, which is a breakthrough in terms of carbon capture. And you know w- what we were able to do is, as the material is going through the mill, basically uh, inject CO two there and and set it up in a way that we think you know we can capture anywhere from you know three quarters of a million to a million tons per annum. Uh, of CO2 and almost generate almost, you know, 20 million tons of carbon credits, you know, over the life of the project. The other big development that happened during, during 22 that sort of, you know, <laughs> made this for us, you know, as a shareholder in Canada Nickel, a, a no brainer to go after is the Canadian government as part of their federal budget uh, announced refundable tax credits uh, for anywhere from 37 and a half percent to 60% uh, of the capital expenditure for projects that operate in the carbon capture, carbon transportation, and carbon storage uh, facilities. So for us to be able to bring that carbon capture in the last work that we, we've just completed, uh, where we basically now treated two streams that already exist in the mill uh, to be able to have them uh, capture carbon for us, it made it a no-brainer to basically take four or five extra months bring that into the into, into the process plant and come up with this new integrated feasibility study where the carbon capture is part of it so we can get you know anywhere from 37 and a to 60% of a large portion you know of, of the process plant expenditure you know which is literally worth hundreds of millions of dollars of cash up front and hundreds of millions of dollars of NPV for the project. So uh, for us, it, it seemed like it was absolutely the right thing to do. Okay, well, well let, let's get into it if you don't mind, because people are gonna be looking at this in the context of what's happened last year. Last year was a really tough year for, for mining, it's a tough year for companies putting um, economic studies together. Um, the CapEx for a lot of projects that were put out increase significantly. You've just gone and decided to add to whatever your CapEx number is, which was already significant by you know, add, adding um, this, this whole integrated carbon capture and storage um, component to it. Is, was that a smart thing to do? Oh, no, in terms of the, the overall math, uh, you know, again, I think that's the, uh, you know, the thing that's the most compelling part of this. Um, again, with the work that we've done, you know, we're quite confident we can take existing mineral processing equipment adapt it to be able to utilize the CO2 and then add that in to uh, the process plant uh, in a way that's going to cost us, you know, probably in the order of, of tens of millions of dollars uh, of additional CapEx, you know, and some small amount of incremental uh, OPEX to be able to, one, get, uh, if you look at, you know, the, the, the size of the process plant that we're building in multiple phases, uh, you're looking at expenditures of, of, of well over a billion dollars to get that process plant in place to, to, to chance to get, I don't know, 300 million, 500 million, you know, 700 million dollars. We'll see, you know, what we're able to get from the government. We still have to apply for it and qualify for it. Uh, but, um, you know, to, to be able to get that amount of incremental cash 
in terms of the NPV and the IRR of the project, uh, you know, to us uh, is outstanding. Number two, to be able to, instead of talk about a project that has the potential to have CO2 credits, you know, in the base feasibility study that we're going to walk around the world with, you know, uh, you know, by the end of the second quarter this year to say, look at, you know, this is not only a zero carbon product, but it's going to be generating 20 tons of CO2 credits per ton of nickel. We, you know, we, we're, we set ourselves up. Uh, to get the premiums uh, that should be available for zero cost nickel products and oh by the way carbon credits particularly good ones that are you know very verifiable and measurement me measurable which is a key part of this process is you know carbon and pipe at point x carbonation process carbon coming out of the pipe so uh, you know we'll get a third revenue stream uh, you know from the carbon credits there so the opportunity to, to sort of bake that into the, the main part of the feasibility study uh, you know seemed seemed like a no-brainer okay so so and sorry to keep keep going on about the money but this is what people are interested in because they, one of the things thrown at you a lot is okay it's it's low grade okay and we'll talk about that in a second okay um it's super expensive car packs billions of dollars right um so what I, I think it's important to do this so I want to be clear about these um refundable investment tax credits okay you're not talking about that 30, whatever that range is, 30 to 60, depending when, percent being on the incremental capex. You're saying that can be applied to the entire capex component. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. We believe that oh, wow. basically okay. by crushing the rock, grinding the rock, taking off the finer fractions, and it's that for those finer fractions um, that you really do a lot of the carbon capture, you know, that there's there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to make the case to the government to be able to qualify for that again till we get the sign off from the government you know that there that you know that's a risk but in you know from our perspective you know the that entire mining operation uh to be able to capture and again we're not talking about a small carbon storage facility in the context of of North American carbon storage uh, the largest carbon storage facility in Canada is is 1.2 million tons shell spent 1.3 billion dollars building that plant they got $900 million because this program didn't exist. They got $900 million in direct government subsidies, uh, you know, for that process. You know, we're looking, you know, at anywhere from 700,000 tons to the, some of the numbers in today's release, you know, close to a million tons uh, of carbon credits per year. So we would be the only right now contemplated carbon storage facility in Ontario, which is the largest economy in, uh, in the country. And we would be one of the largest, uh, plants in Canada. So, you know, from from a from a government policy perspective, you know, we hit three of their key levers. One, you know, in, in terms of advancing their climate change objectives, you know, check. In terms of critical mineral strategy, we're going to be, a, you know, a very large producer of nickel and cobalt and the North America's only chromium producer, as well as produce a little bit of platinum and palladium. And then thirdly, in terms of EV strategies for the, the, the provincial government, and the federal government, if you look over Christmas, there are a bunch more stories about how the government's talking up their EV strategy. So a project that, that hits three separate government objectives, you know, we think should put us close to the front of the line in terms of being able to, to tap in to those pool of, of government subsidies that are available, which again, it's our, is, is good money for the project and, and good money for the project is good money for shareholders. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But again, again, second with the numbers. So the I can sort of see why you're talking about it's in the hundreds of millions. So you're talking about rebates on the total carpax number. It's it's a saving. It, it kind of almost in a way, I guess you you could argue it may wipe out any of the kind of inflationary pressures on carpax projects. You know, it, it, it may, may be yours. Um, 
But then I've got to kind of look to where, well, what does this do in terms of revenue generation going forward? You talk about the amount of carbon credits you can create, but in, in today's terms, and, and I accept that carbon credit price will fluctuate, but in today's terms, what could that mean in terms of revenue generation rather than rebates from the government? Oh, in terms of, okay, so we've got the, again, the cash that, that rebate comes up front in terms of carbon credits. You know, again, Canada has a stated uh, carbon price, you know, of one hundred and seventy dollars a ton by twenty thirty. I think the price as of last year was was fifty dollars a ton. We won't be able to capture all of that price, but again, given the quality of the credits that are being generated, companies that do mineral sequestration, which we're doing, which is you know, carb fix uh, in Iceland and carbon engineering, uh, who's running a pilot plant in in British Columbia and have part partnered with uh, Oxy Petroleum to build a, a, a you know a, a large plant down in Texas. You know, those types of credits, you know, can 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 generate uh, you know very substantial revenue streams. So when you're looking at, at three quarters of a million or a million tons of credits a year times 30, 50, 70, dollars a ton or more, you know, uh, th- you know, th- that, that's a huge amount uh, of incremental revenue. And I think one other point too, I you know, want to make right now, we don't need this again, people, oh, you're delaying the feasibility study because your numbers must be horrible. And, and you're just, this is the only way you can get the projects work. That is not, not the case. You know, the geology is good. The mining is good. The processing is good. You know, we just think, uh, to be able to take an extra few months, and it's, which are not on the critical path. We've already kicked the permitting off. That's the critical path. We're still on track for a mid-2025 permit with construction thereafter. You know, this is about making the most robust project that we can and having that most robust project coming right out of the gate um, on, on day one. Okay, well, let's talk about it. I kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, and we'll, you know, I've talked about this a few times, right? So I'll, I'll ask it a different way. Why not? Okay, would you do your customers, do they want, would they prefer a higher grade, high grade nickel project versus of, of a certain size in terms of certain tonnage, or does it make more sense for them to invest in a lower grade, but obviously higher tonnage nickel projects? The CapEx profiles are very, very different. Um, the life of mine is very, very different. There's lots of, you know, people tend to like the high grade stuff because um, it makes great headlines, but you, you've always argued the case that these kind of lower grade, large projects are what the big boys want. Is that still the case? Are you what are you hearing that makes you continue you continue to believe that that is true? Yeah, it's it's 100% about scale and scalable. You know, what the battery guys and the car companies want are large quantities of nickel that can come online in the second half of this decade, preferably sooner, which is our Texmont acquisition, um, and then then can be scaled up multiple times from there. Um, I, I don't, you know, we've been in discussions with a bunch of Korean companies, you know, for, for over a year. They always take 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 a lot of time. We've been talking to a few of the more forward-thinking car companies earlier this year, but about, I don't know what it was, about mid-November, um, the, the entire car industry got the memo that if they want raw materials, they're going to have to be able to provide capital. Um, and literally pre-Christmas, we've talked to, you know, most of the European and North American car companies that we haven't already been engaged with. And those conversations within the first minute to two talk about, you know, we realize we need to provide capital. It's not simply about signing an offtake deal. You know, it's really about getting the money in place to be able to advance these projects because, you know, they, they need nickel. Again, just, just one example, you know, one Korean company 
who who was consuming 30,000 tons of nickel this year, you know, their their midterm goal is in five years to be consuming 200,000 tons of nickel. And they don't want that to come from high carbon Chinese controlled sources in Indonesia, because again, the Inflation Reduction Act has made it very clear that, you know, they, they're trying to get China out of, of their supply chains. And so these kind of projects like we have that are, that are very large scale, you know, are exactly what they're looking for. 10,000 tons of nickel, you know, uh, Valet just spent close to a billion dollars opening the, uh, uh, the, the new Coppercliff mine. Uh, you know, that's 10 to 15,000 tons of nickel per year. Like, that's that's going to be uh, less than a month's worth of, of consumption uh, for these guys. So, you know, our big, large scale, zero carbon uh, nickel sources are exactly the kind of nickel that this you know generation of nickel consumers is looking for. Right. That said, you've gone and bought yourself a higher grade <laughs> former producer, Texmont mine. Uh, why have you done that? If, you, if you're a big believer in your own big project. I am a big believer in our own project. Uh, but again, <clears throat> we're moving this project at light speed. You know, again, people might be upset with a few months delay in the feasibility study. But again, we're on track to go from the fifth drill hole to a fee full feasibility study in less than four years. And I challenge anyone to come up with any sizable project that's done that in any fraction uh, of the time. However, it's still, you know, even moving at light speed, you know, we're not going to be in construction until mid 2025 and in operation until the end of 2027. In these conversations with, with the, the Koreans that we've been having, you know, f f over the, la the last time period, it's very clear. They want as much nickel as they can get their hands on from North American sources. And so, you know, what we set out to do 18 months ago with putting together that entire Timmins Nickel District was one, you know, we, we saw the potential for, you know, a half a dozen Crawfords in this region and, and the results that we've been putting out in the second half of the year clearly support that. But as well, we're looking for smaller, lower CapEx, shorter time frame ways to get into production, you know, that will allow us to generate three, four, five thousand tons of nickel and most importantly, start generating, you know, tens of millions of dollars uh, of free cash flow per year, you know, two years from now. And what that does, one, cash flow is good, particularly without having, you know, to spend a lot of our own shareholder equity to make that happen. There's lots more investors who are interested in financing those small capex, small producers. And then secondly, in terms of a whole investor pool, there, you know, the reality is, is only a certain number of investors that, that want to take a bet on a big project, you know, coming to fruition in a, in a few years time. There's a lot more investors, you know, who are keen to get into a near-term exposure, near-term production, you know, for a particular metal. And so for us, Texmont is something we started after 18 months ago. Unfortunately, it was tied up in a state and literally we were <laughs> knocking on the door for more than a year before they were able to engage. And then we're, we're able to pick it up, you know, for 4 million cash, which will uh, come due in a couple of months. And again, we've got lots of potential financing sources lined up for that one. So that we uh, is, is, is going to be very straightforward. And in and, and, and that purchase price, there was a company that had it in the, two, in the 2000s, they drilled 28,000 meters of drilling. That's never been included in a resource. It already tells us, you know, 80% of what we know in terms of what's there. And, and to drill that would cost us that much money today. So for us, we think, A, it's a great transaction for shareholders. It attracts a whole new base of investors and, you know, turns us into a cash flow story potentially by, you know, by 2025. And we're going to work as quickly uh, with, 
that we did with Crawford with this project. And because it was a past producer with mining leases, the whole permitting process uh, should be should be faster and, and a lot easier. But is that not a distraction for you? I, I, okay, okay. New, new shareholder base who may then sort of um, get to understand the sort of the bigger bigger um, price of, of Crawford and the lower grade story. I get, I get that. Um, it's a it's a kind of route to market. You can have conversations with 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 um, buyers right, as well. So that's great. They get to know, get to know you. But and it's not a big chunk of money. Four million bucks. Not a big chunk of money given the data that you're talking about um, having access to. But for management, you know, it is going to be a distraction. You are going to need to have to r- raise money. Is it going to delay your ambitions with with Crawford and, and the other kind of lower grade projects? No, one hundred percent. You know, zero impact on that time frame. Again, with 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 Crawford, the resource and drilling, you know, for the feasibility study and when what's going forward in the project is is largely done. That team just rolls off, does the geology first. Um, as we're doing the geology and the mine design, uh, you know, to start to put together PEA for that, um, you know, the teams that are finishing that up for us on the feasibility study, which again is largely complete right now, can start working on that. And, and then, you know, probably by the second quarter of this year, we'll look to put a person in charge. Because again, from my perspective, that's 100%, which we don't want to happen is to get distracted by something, you know, that, that takes away from, from the big prize and, and we'll staff it and resource it accordingly. So, you know, that those, they end up being two parallel teams once once we have, uh, you know, to, to start, uh, you know, having those resources in place. Right. Okay. Now, everything we've talked about today is it's a bunch of time, and you're kind of trying to, I guess, you're phasing the the, the production time from your higher grade project, Tysmont, and the you know Crawford and wherever that goes. But you're going to need money. Um, you announced for Christmas the appointment of Scotia Bank um, and also Deutsche Bank. What are they going to do for you? Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, for, for us, you know, I think that was, was a great announcement. We've seen a good reaction in the share price, you know, since that time frame. I, I think, you know, a lot of investors realized that, you know, groups like Scotiabank and Deutsche Bank for a company to w- work with a company of our size speaks to the quality of the team, quality of the project. Um, and so, you know, for us in terms of, you know, they've been specifically mandated with putting together the overall equity check, you know, which will be 40% of, of the capital cost, uh, you know, for the project. Um, but again, now being exposed to, you know, their marketing channels, their distribution channels, their, their, you know, the, the entire, uh, Scotia and Deutsche Bank team gives us a massive global footprint exposure, which we think will pay dividends massively as we move through the year and open us up to an even broader base of financing sources going forward. Okay, but what, tell me what that looks like, because if I'm a shareholder now, uh, I'd be terrified. I mean, like 40% of a $1 billion, $2 billion capex number, that's huge compared to your market cap now. The cost of that could be significant. So what are the different... Uh, solutions that they're going to, um, you know, come up with. What's what's available to them in terms of optionality on that? Yeah. So in terms of the capex, and again, you know, give people comfort that you know things in terms of the, where the current feasibility study is are, are still on track. We've talked uh, a couple of times about the fact that you know we're looking at starting fifty percent larger, so that we can go instead of two expansions, we'll go in a single expansion to the overall one hundred and twenty thousand tons a day. You know, if you took the capex for the PEA um, and you know was 50% larger, that's probably in the range, the zip code, you know, that we'll end up with. So we're quite happy with that, where the inflation that we're seeing has been offset by the fact that we're operating at a much larger scale. And again, that's one of the benefits of large scale deposits. It gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of of, of where you're able to operate, whereas a lot of smaller deposits, you know, you, you don't have that that flexibility. So in terms of, you know, 40% of that. Well, what, check- what, does, what does that mean? What, yeah. what, does, what does that mean? 
Well, tell me what that actually means, because I, I, I'm not sure everyone will comprehend what you just said. That's an important point. Yeah. So, so again, if you've got an underground, first off, just start with underground mines. If they're an underground mine, you know, they, the geometry of the ore body basically tells you, you know, to a large extent, the maximum throughput that you can operate that mine at. You know, there, there is a very clear, very well-defined, um, you know, uh, operating rate that you'll be able to do that. We've got a large, broad, low, you know, low strip ratio, large ore body. It just gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of, you know, do again, do we start at 43,000 tons a day? Do we start at 60,000 tons a day? You know, can we expand it multiple times to take advantage uh, of the scale benefit? And so, you know, those ore bodies give you all those degrees of freedom, which really don't exist you know, with with us with a smaller operation, um, and and right. so but, but in simple terms, in simple terms, more I've got to bring it back to this yeah. again. But for people on trying, it may give you the flexibility of if I I choose to be forty three or sixty three uh, sixty thousand. Okay, great. But each of those things is progressively more expensive, capex wise, equity wise, debt wise. So again, why is it a good thing to be able to start bigger? Right. So, so the key thing here is in terms of the financing stack. So, you know, from day one, we've talked about doing this with the minimum, the minimal amount of, of equity dilution. Again, I'm a shareholder. I've been buying the stock in the market over the last two years. Most of my net worth is in this company. So the last thing I'm going to do is a stupid bot deal just to get my financing done. You know, the, 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 you know, the first piece of the financing stack is, is a, is a PGM stream. We're going to, in the feasibility study, have palladium and, and platinum ounces. Um, we think that should generate anywhere from 50 to $100 million uh, of capital for the project. The next piece goes back to the comment I made earlier around, around the car companies and the Korean battery companies. Again, these guys are desperate for, for uh, offtake, you know, for the next 10, 15 years. And so, you know, we're putting proposals on the table where, you know, they're, they're, to be able to get a portion of the offtake, they're going to have to provide a chunk of capital that looks like equity to the to the project finance, you know, to the project finance facility. And so, you know, again, we think that has the potential to take that right up to that amount. If for some reason that doesn't get us all the way there, the other opportunity is we've been approached by uh, uh, several of the, of the Japanese trading houses and other companies that are you know are are open to doing a project level interest. And so again, having them buy into the project as a project level interest, you know, 10, 15, 20% of the project, you know, we think that stack, you know, gets us to a point where we have all the equity that we need, um, getting the project moved forward with, you know, the minimal and hopefully zero equity dilution, um, you know, to the average shareholder uh, at that point in time. So, you know, that that's that's what we're keenly, keenly working towards. Okay. Okay. That's, that sounds good to me. But again, um, Scotia Bank and Deutsche Bank have been uh, signed up to deal with the equity component, the debt component. When do you, when would, what is the timing typically on appointing people to look at that element? Yeah. So, it, so in the release, we, we talked about in January, we're going to be pointing at a debt advisory past life with RNC. Uh, we work with Rothschild. There's a small handful of, of, of groups, um, that, that do billion dollar type project financings. And so uh, again, uh, we've been in dialogue with them for most of the past year. They're very keen to work with a project that 
you know, is in a great jurisdiction, you know, is of the scale uh, that the majors, um, you know, and and major consumers uh, want to be involved with and a team, you know, that's been down this path before. So we'll look to get uh, one of those groups appointed uh, in January. And so they'll work alongside the equity portion of the project. And again, we want to make sure that, you know, they work together in, in lockstep. And, and so, uh, you know, that we've, we've got everything set up, ready to go, that when we get that permit mid-2025, you know, we've got a fully financed project ready to begin construction. Okay. So Deutsche Bank, Scotia Bank, Rothschilds. Okay. Well, I don't know if it'll be Rothschild, <laughs> Rothschild or someone like Rothschild. And, okay. then, and then the other, other part of this, tying back to the today's press release, is in terms of, you know, what I haven't mentioned there is, again, capital from the government. If you look in Ontario, every EV investment that's been made by a car company or into the battery supply chain, each one of those companies has got of the order of 10% of the capital from the provincial government and another 10% of the capital from the federal government in terms of various types of financing support. And so, you know, that's in addition to the tax credits that we talked about in terms of qualifying for carbon capture and storage. So, you know, again, of that overall uh, capital capital check, you know, I would be very disappointed if we didn't get some sizable, uh, you know, direct uh, government support, um, you know, for this project, given the fact that we tick three separate boxes, uh, you know, uh, for the government in terms of climate change, in terms of EV strategy, and in terms of critical minerals. Okay, that's essentially, so you, okay, so we, we, we've covered a lot of different um, types of financing today, or op optionality around financing and what you hope to try um, to do. So in terms of, um, give us a sense of the, the the timing for all of this, how long, okay, Scotia, Deutsche Bank now on the equity thing, how long does that process take? Obviously, you, you're, you're aiming for 2025 um, there, but the equity bit takes how long? The debt bit, you're going to appoint someone soon. How long does that take? I mean, Give us a sense of that. Yeah. So in terms of in terms of you know the 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 financing. So so one near term. You know we've got we've we have a loan due with Oramat um, in mid January. We have the ability to extend that if we need to by three months. There are again numerous conversations going on that we expect to to uh, get get closure on in, in the very near future. But there's a lot of flexibility, and they've been very supportive on that. So we'll get that short term piece of financing in in place here uh, in the next next month or two, and hopefully with something in the word strategic in place. In terms of the overall project financing timeline, you know what we're looking for here is you know first off the the we you need to uh, look at the offtake discussions. That'll be the the key driver for us. So sometime in you know hopefully in the first half, maybe by the third quarter of this year, we'll get that those offtake partners in place. The reason we want to get those offtake partners in place again, some of those Korean companies and car companies are the also ones who are spending billions of dollars of other investments in Canada. So you know from our perspective, being able to go to the government to accelerate the permitting timeframe, which is the, the critical path for us right now. Um, you know, would would make a lot more sense and be very helpful. So the offtake portion, you know, will provide basically that the the anchor portion of of the equity. We can then see what see how much we need to fill in, and again, we'll have start having those discussions with the various Japanese trading houses and other partners, you know, who want to take 10, 15, 20 percent of the project if we need that. 
On the debt piece, you know, those things always take a long time. And, and But the reason we want to do that is to get someone on board now is to start to have those discussions. So we'll, we will start, we'll get the person in place in January. We'll start to meet with groups in the second and third quarter, you know, as the feasibility, sorry, the, the first and second quarter as the feasibility studies uh, getting complete. Uh, you know, once the, so they're warmed up, once the feasibility study's ready, it takes them about a year or so to go through their processes to get there. And so, you know, our hope is, you know, in the second half of 2024, we've got the equity in place, we've got the, the debt in place, and it's just a matter in, at that point in time in terms of waiting for the permits. And hopefully, you know, we'll find a way um, uh, to talk. The governments have been talking about streamlining permitting. Um, so hopefully, you know, we can see if we can bring that and bring bring that up by six months or more. And we want to be ready, you know, if if that does happen, uh, to be ready to go as soon as possible. But it will take probably till the you know second half of 2024 to get that all in place. Um, I do not miss doing debt deals. 12 to 18 months. Lovely. Um, I used to write them. I know. Um, I... The other, the other bit of this is when when do you actually get to the point where you can understand if you can forward sell some of the carbon credits, for instance? We we kind of get the refundable in tax credit, which is the kind of near, near term um, gain in terms of that stream, that revenue stream. But can you bring any of the, the revenue forward? Oh, I mean, you know, again, part of the, the reason in terms of getting this to a feasibility study stage now, as opposed to doing it after the fact and making an add-on, you know, is to be able to have that, you know, the, the testing, the piloting, the, the engineering done. So you can say, here it is, you know, here's, here's a, a small pilot plant that we ran, you know, with, with, with these process steps in there. And so here's the data. Uh, and, you, you know, again, it's been reviewed by a good engineering firm. And so you should feel confident that these credits, you know, will emerge. This is not planting trees or, uh, you know, gas stoves to poor communities so they don't burn wood. You know, this is highly verifiable, measurable credits, um, you know, that uh, you'll be, you know, able to take to the bank. And again, you know, I, I, I didn't talk about that as part of the overall financing package. But again, I, you know, given the 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 demand for this for for real carbon credits you know who, who knows what we might be able to do on that front so you know if i was really arm waving i would start putting big numbers on that but you know we'll leave that for for now well i, I look forward to the arm waving because I, I i think it's kind of pretty exciting ipt carbonization is obviously a la mode at the moment i'm intrigued to sort of see where it kind of settles settle down and, and and the pricing in the marketplace but whatever whatever the numbers given the quantities that you've been talking about it's a it's a significant contribution um to your your bottom line so i uh, look i appreciate the update um markets want to kind of get into it because i think i say i think the market got a little bit excited about the two announcements before christmas um this is meaningful potentially meaningful too so i'm intrigued to sort of see how that it all rolls out um, across the year. So just remind me, last word, feasibility study expectation is when? Before the end of the second quarter of this year. There we go. Okay, Mark, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew.